This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and good evening, everyone. It's great to be back. Um, I haven't done a show in ages, but you are listening to me, Emily Fullerant Show, on Teacher Talk Radio. And today I have a special guest, and we are going to discuss all things leadership. And I am super excited to have Matt Evans. Um, so make sure you get a coffee or tea and tune in. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. And you're listening to The Late Show with me, Emily Fullerant Show, on Teacher Talk Radio. In today's show, I'll be joined by Matt Evans. And as I said before, we will be discussing all things leadership. So as always, please share the show, interact with us via the chat, or feel free to call in at any time. Um, so I can see that Matt is here with me. So hi, Matt. How are you? Hi, Emily. Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, it's so lovely to have you on. I hope you had a great half term. Did you get up to much during your half term? Well, it's just started. We, we're on half term oh. this week, so I don't want to make anyone jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm lounging back, you know, with a whiskey and the whole week ahead of me. I'm so jealous of you right now. I wish I could have um, another week, but I think that would be a bit too greedy. But at least I've got six weeks to go until... Um, Easter, I suppose, so counting that down. Um, so Matt is a secondary school head teacher in Gloucestershire. Um, he's been a teacher for 27 years and he's worked in a var- various schools and in various leadership roles. He's also the author 
author of Leaders with Substance, and he has co-authored The Next Big Thing in School Leadership, which was published in 2021. Um, and Matthew's got an amazing blog. It's on his Twitter bio. Um, so please do look and read it read that and he tweets at um head underscore teach so hopefully i've done you justice fair but um if you could just give us more information about your teaching career because you've got an extensive amount of years in which you have taught so yeah would love to know more about you and how you got into teaching and then how you got into leadership sure yeah um extensive amount of years is is probably right emily Um, (laughs) i won't admit how old i am but uh, i did my so i did my training back in the early 90s in uh, in Brighton at University of Brighton um, and my degree was in business education so I, I've always taught business and economics and other things along the way um, and previous, previously to that I well I was at college and then I worked in an off license for a couple of years kicked around wondering what to do in the early 90s um, it was kind of that time when a lot of people were unemployed and finding it difficult to get jobs so I decided in the end I'd go and train and be a teacher. Um, and then I started teaching at school just outside of Brighton, which was in a really um, sort of deprived uh, um, kind of portside town, um, which I really enjoyed. But it was a kind of st- tough start to teaching. Yeah. And then uh, from there, I've kind of w- worked in lots of different schools. So I've worked in an all-boys school, an all-girls school, various mixed comprehensives. Uh, I've been a head of business and economics Wow. Um, and then I was an assistant head for a while back, back when specialist schools were a thing. Uh, so I was in charge of that for a period of time and then eventually became a curriculum deputy and cut my teeth on the timetable and that kind of thing. Oh, and wow. then nine years ago, got, got my present job as head teacher at a brilliant school in Gloucestershire. Oh, that's amazing. And what's it like being a head teacher so far? Well, it's been crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like the last couple of years. Well, you you know, you can imagine, can't you? Anyone who's worked in a school in the last couple of years, it's been, um, it's been, it's been really mad. But you know, e- equally, it's kind of been um, a kind of interesting challenge as well. So yeah. I don't think any of us could have imagined the whole thing about remote learning and all all of the various iterations of of running a school. Um, but I, I've got to admit, now we're kind of eventually seeming to come out of the other end of this um yeah. you look back at it and it kind of was quite a high adrenaline time and in a weird way I kind of loved it and hated it um, but mm. it was yeah so it was fun but generally being a teacher is <laughs> great um I've got a you know, really nice school I'm really lucky with where I work staff are brilliant kids are brilliant um so yeah I'm really lucky which is why I stayed there for, for nearly nine years now Wow, that's an amazing journey that you've had. And I can't wait to find out more through the various questions that I will ask. And those that are tuning in, um, I can see Khalil's here. So great to see Khalil. Tom's here. So hi, Tom. Uh, Mrs. Shortcha. Um, so welcome, everybody that is listening. And Carly Waterman. I interviewed Carly um, previously. So please do check out that show. It's on Teacher Talk Radio. Um, listen back slash listen back. Um, so it's great to see you, um, Carly, as well. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, I can't wait to hear more about, you know, um, your leadership wisdom, because I like myself, I would like to go into leadership one day, but I'm still recovering over the burnout of COVID, <laughs> to be honest. So at the moment, I am content with middle middle leadership right now. Um, so yeah, um, so my first question um, to you is, 
what are your views on leadership? So you've had a variety of leadership roles, such as middle leadership, and you said you've worked in a specialist school and um, curriculum development, and now, you know, um, head teachers. So, you know, taking on board your plethora of, um, you know, um, of experience, what would you say um, is your leadership philosophy or your views on, on leadership? Well, I guess, I guess it's fair to say I'm quite cynical about leadership as a kind of thing, which anyone who's read my first book would know. Um, yeah. And the reason for that, I guess, is because I was fascinated by leadership and management for years and years and years, like from my degree. And then I you know, read a, a lot over a long period of time about organizational change and all of the yeah. classic theories and everything else. And a, a few years ago, I kind of looked at all of this and I thought, well, has it actually helped me run a school? And I came to the conclusion that it, it probably hadn't helped that much. So yeah. I, I went on a bit of a journey yeah. a few years ago thinking about, um, you know, what, what would have been helpful to me coming up through the ranks? What do I wish somebody else had told me about? Um, and I ended up with this kind of view that actually a lot of what I needed to know as a school leader was about schools rather than about leadership. Wow. So my conclusion, I, I suppose, from, from all of those years of looking at this is that you can't separate leadership from the school. And schools are such amazing places and such unique places that um, I, I think if you're going to be a school leader, you need to learn the art of school leadership rather than worry about these kind of general generic views of leadership about yeah. team working and vision and all of this other stuff that you read about in places like the Harvard Business Review and all of these great publications where yeah. people wax lyrical about leadership, but it doesn't really help you very much in my view with, with actually running a school and making day-to-day decisions. Wow. Wow. Thanks for that. And in terms of, you said something along the lines of it's important to understand school um, leadership. So how would you differentiate, differentiate between what makes leadership different in terms of schools and then businesses it might be a simple question but somebody could be thinking but essentially schools are businesses and organizations yeah. so um yeah I just want to know what's what would you say is the difference well I'm not I mean I'm a I'm a business yeah. and economics teacher so I'm not kind of against learning from business per se I'm, I don't have any kind of ideological objection to that yeah but if I if I look at the job I do now for example um most of what I do requires me to know quite a lot about things to do with schools rather than usually to do with business. And there are a few exceptions to that. So obviously, as a head teacher, you deal a lot in HR issues, you deal a lot with legal compliance and so on. So there's a great deal of knowledge there that kind of isn't just about education. But then most of what we do in schools isn't about that stuff. Most of it is about the curriculum. Most of it's about teaching, um, about working with young people. And I think all of that knowledge you only get by working with young people in, in a school environment. And if you don't know enough about the day-to-day -day life of, of working and running a school, then none of those kind of general skills that you might think you have are going to be worth very much. You know, you need to, if you're going to understand the curriculum, for example, you need to, you need to understand about disciplinary distinctiveness. You need to understand why one subject might be assessed in, in a different way to another subject. Um, you might need to understand about how pedagogy applies to different disciplines and so on. And all of this is knowledge that is to do with schools and is to do with education. 
And if you don't know that don't. stuff, I just don't think you're going to make very good decisions as a school leader. Yeah, I definitely agree. And you hit the nail um, on the head there. Um, I remember when I was asked about my um, assessments, because he, with history, different skills are assessed in terms of um, the disciplinary concepts. So mm-hmm. sometimes um, in history, it goes up and down. Students can go up and down after each assessment. So it's not necessarily a, fo- a linear form of progression. Um, however, because leadership really understand the disciplinary concepts of history, um, they could um, they understand why, for example, progress was up and down and not necessarily mm. linear like something like maths or maybe even science so um it's really good to have leaders as a middle leader that understand the curriculum um i think so i think you hit that on the nail there um so my next question is um what does effective leadership look like to you yeah that's uh, it's a really good question I, I mean the first problem i think we've got with leadership generally is that there isn't a great research base into into knowing what good leadership looks like so if if you look at the literature and the research out there in most cases it's fairly thin on the ground so if we're really going to ask the question about what good leadership is I think we've got to first of all say well what what is what is the evidence we've got what's the solid evidence so I think um you know if, if, if you look at that you've got a few things we can draw upon like cognitive science I think which has become yeah. very popular in education but I think that can tell us some things about about leadership too I think we can draw on a bit of psychology into human behavior maybe a bit of economics bit of sociology so my view is actually that those disciplines can give us a bit more insight into what it is to run a school and to be a leader Mm. there there may be some of the traditional leadership um, uh, literature that's out there Um, so I mean that's where I would draw my inspiration from what does that look like to me well I think uh, as a leader, I think you've got to be in touch with reality. I think you've got to be in touch with your school. Um, yeah. So you've really got to understand what's going on. It's very easy, particularly as a head teacher, to become quite detached from the everyday life of the school. Um, yeah, particularly as point. when you walk around the school and walk into a classroom, you know, people change their behavior when a head teacher enters the room. Oh, that's, yeah. a big, that's a big challenge, I think, for leadership is, is staying in touch. Um, yeah. I think you've got to be measured. I think you've got to accept that schools are quite complex places um, mm. and school improvement isn't simple. There's not kind of a formula that you can stick to. So there are some general things. I think there's probably some touchstones that we can look at in terms of good leadership. But we've got to be really careful that we don't kind of make stuff up and, and, and kind of pretend we know what good leadership is more than we actually do. Because there's a lot of bad practice as well as good practice out there. Mm, thank you for that Matt and um, you know you said something along the lines of it's important for leaders to be in touch with their school so just kind of using the analogy of um, a new head teacher for example they've just got a promotion so they were a deputy head they've just you know be given their first headship in a new school what tips would you give for them to kind of get to know their school because you know, what works in one school might not necessarily work in another school. So would you have any tips for somebody along those lines? Well, I think, I think that one you said there, Emily, was, yeah. is really important because um, I don't think you can copy stuff very well from one school to another. That's yeah. a mistake I think we made a few years back when we 
had all of those kind of best practice case studies that Ofsted yeah. would publish and people try to lift stuff and, and plonk it down in their school. So that would definitely be the first one is don't try to take what you did in your last school and make that work in your new context without giving it quite a great deal of um, thought and consideration. But yeah. beyond that, I mean, I remember my, my first term as a head, I remember um, yeah, the very first day actually, and my office um, connects to the front reception at school. And, yeah. I, and I got there, I was pretty nervous as you can imagine and got to my office and got everything out and I remember standing in the doorway to my office and looking at my PA at the time and saying what do I do now you know what, what what's the next thing and uh, yeah. and she I can't remember exactly what she said but she just kind of said well just go for a walk and wow. get to know the place and yeah. I think I did that for I didn't do a lot other than that probably for about a term I don't think I changed oh, wow. very much I spent yeah. a lot of time talking to people a lot of time walking around the school, getting a feel for the place. Um, so I think that my best piece of advice would be that is, is really talk to a lot of people, visit a lot of places, get into all the nooks and crannies in the school and understand it really well. Um, mm. and, and don't think as a new head I, that you've got to make changes immediately. I mean, there will be no. things you've got to deal with, obviously, decisions that have got to be made. But in terms of change, I would encourage people just to step back a little bit and take a bit of time. Um, before they do too much unless you're in that situation Mm. where the school is really falling apart and you've got no choice but to crack on and and get on with something and and then maybe that's a bit different yeah thanks for that I think that's really important because as somebody new you feel as humans I feel like it's human nature for somebody to want to make their mark to try and prove themselves but I like your advice of hold fire just get to know the place, go for a walk, get to know the nooks and crannies of things. Um, so, yeah, I really, really um, like that piece of advice. Thank you. Um, Khalil has put in the chat, do you still teach at all? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, oh, wow. How do you so find the time? Well, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> um, I sometimes wonder that. And, and I do feel slightly guilty sometimes. That I, I, you know, I suppose everyone does, no matter how much you teach, that you can't give it as much attention as you want to. I mean, yeah. this year, luckily, my timetable has managed to restrict me to just having one A-level class. So that's, yeah. that's really manageable. And, you know, that, it's a real privilege as well to go in there and forget about running a school um, for a few hours a week. Uh, but the last couple of years, I've taught a bit more than that, just mainly because of staffing issues and COVID yeah. and everything else. So, yeah, it's really tough. But I, I really enjoy the teaching. And that is also, I think, part of keeping in touch with the school because yeah. you've got to, uh, you know, knowing what it's like to actually walk into the classroom and implement the policies that you are telling everyone else to implement. Um, and I do appreciate it. not everyone can do that. I think some head teachers, I mean, the school I run, um, you know, nothing's broken, nothing's falling apart. So I can probably get away with doing a bit of teaching really good point about you know it helps you to get to know the systems and if you put new initiatives in place um it helps you to understand if it's working or not yeah and uh, and and also just to talk to the students on a regular basis which you can do out about around the site but um you you get a special relationship don't you when you're teaching a class Mm. Uh, i think particularly with some of those older year groups and they will talk to you and they'll tell you what they think of the school and if something new changes, they'll say, uh, Mr. Evans, is that you that made that one up? Because it's, <laughs> it's a rubbish rule. Can you get rid of that one? 
So, uh, you know, that kind of thing uh, and the daily interaction. And that, that's why everyone goes into the job, isn't it? To get that daily interaction with, mm. with children of whatever age group. And it, it's always the best bit of the week. Oh, wow. It's really good that you still teach because I know some head teachers are really difficult for them to do. Um, my head teacher still teaches and he covers lessons um, here and there. If, you know, because cover's been a bit of a stretch um, yeah, as of lately. So, yeah, um, that's really impressive. Um, my next question is, um, you did touch on evidence. Um, you, you touched on cognitive, the cognitive load theory and cognitive science, I should say. Um, so how can we marry up evidence with leadership, um, especially edu evidence? Mm. Well, with cog- cognitive science, I think it's got a few things to offer leadership and in my view, the most important one is this idea of expertise, um, that you can become an expert in something. Because yeah. if, 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 as I say, things like the curriculum and things like pedagogy and teaching and learning are really important, then those are things that you can develop knowledge and expertise in. And if you're responsible for leading the curriculum, possibly your most important job is to really know what you're talking about, to really know your stuff. So this uh, cognitive science has a bit to say about expertise and about how we build knowledge and how we build mental models. So a lot of this is stuff that's become very common now in, in ideas about teaching and applying those kind of same ideas to leadership to expect people to really build a good knowledge base around the, the domain that they're leading, around the thing they're leading. Um, and I think that, that really helps you make better decisions. Uh, mm. So this idea of decision-making being this skill that you develop um, in my view, that isn't developed separate from from the thing you're actually leading. So the more you know about what you're leading, the, the better those decisions are going to be. And cognitive science offers a lot in terms of um, developing those kind of ideas of expertise and, and, and knowledge. So that would be one thing I would point to. Um, yeah. Psychology a bit more generally. I mean, psychology um, has undergone a bit of a crisis recently, I guess, because of the replication crisis and people not you know, being that confident about some of the findings, particularly some of those studies that happened in the 60s and 70s, which, which they failed to, uh, to replicate and to show them be, to be true. But there's still good psychology out there. So if you follow someone like um, Peps McCree uh, yeah. on Twitter, you know, the stuff he talks about in terms of behavioral science, in terms of um, socialization, to how you can utilize some of these psychological ideas into how to help students learn better. Um, people like Harry Fletcher Wood as well. I know his latest book. I haven't read it yet, but oh, yeah. I hear really good things about it. Again, takes some of these ideas from the world of psychology and applies them to an educational context. So leadership's got a bit to learn from that as well, because if you're running an organisation which is full of maybe a thousand people, you can't avoid psychology. You can't avoid some um, theories of group behaviour, and you can't avoid talking about culture and socialisation. So all, all of that stuff has got a lot to teach us about how we lead schools. Mm, I definitely agree with what you said, because sometimes when something new comes out of Twitter, we're so eager to jump on the bandwagon. But sometimes when we're in line with research, it helps us to protect, you know, what works. It helps us to protect, you know, teachers' times. And as you said, it enables us to make better decisions um, when it comes yeah, to the curriculum or organisation. I mean, this was the this was the focus of, um, of of the book that I co-authored with Becky Allen and Ben White is about kind of faddish behaviour in schools. And I think 
Yeah, wow, making sure you've got a good evidence base is, is, is a yeah. good antidote to some of that faddish behavior because we've had, you know, over the, over the years I've been working, certainly, we've had so many big ideas and so many things we've been told are going to transform education. And some of them are good um, and then others maybe not so much. Um, and they come and go and, mm. you know, eventually you've got to say, well, how do we stop going round and round and round? and leaping on the next bandwagon. And I think if, if we can root things back in a bit of research evidence as much as we can, then we've got a better chance of avoiding some of the really um, kind of worst mistakes that, that we've made in education over the years. Mm. Thank you, um, Matt. Um, my other question, just as you were talking, it just came to me. Um, that question was about marrying up, you know, evidence to leadership, but I feel... What's also equally important, especially what I had to do as a middle leader, is sometimes using your intuition. Um, are there have there been times where you've just kind of had to go with your gut, um, and maybe not evidence? Yeah, well, so intuition um, is, is a really interesting idea, isn't it? Because yeah. people don't. I mean, that comes from somewhere in your head. If, yeah. if you have a gut feeling about something, it comes from somewhere. So, I, I do think that we. And this is speaking as an economist who, you know, economics is all about people thinking rationally and behaving in their self-interest and this kind of thing. But I think we over-egg rational decision-making. Um, a lot of the things we have to do are under pressure. A lot of the things um, we don't perhaps know as much about as we would like to. So at the end of the day, you have to fall back on some kind of intuition and some kind of gut feeling. But I also yes. believe that that gut feeling comes from the experience that you've got um, and, and the tacit knowledge that you've got as well. So you might yeah. not be able to say, well, I've, I've done a probability tree and I think this is the best course of action. But, you know, that gut feeling probably comes from past experience and, and some sort of um, idea of what's worked in the past and, and which way forward is likely to be more successful. Yeah. So I do, I think the intuition is really important, but I also think intuition comes from experience and knowledge and yeah. um, and developing expertise over a period of time that's a really good point yeah because sometimes I feel like it's not given that equal credibility like research mm. and I feel like to some extent it's, it's equally um valuable um yeah and looking back at for example when I was in school um the best teachers were just really really simple and sometimes when when I trained for example um it was more gimmick and it was more about engaging or in other words entertaining um students whereas I constantly kept thinking about my teachers in secondary school and what they did um and it was literally what is you know used now like retrieval practice great teacher explanations um however I guess looking back at that experience of, you know, me as a student has helped to, you know, kind of use as a crutch the things that have worked and have been tested throughout time and not going with a bandwagon or the fads, as you mentioned before. So sometimes I do feel intuition can come into play. Yeah, that, that time issue is really important, isn't it? Because yeah. We can't, uh, you know, I think research is great, evidence is great, and it will take us so far in terms of avoiding some really, doing some really daft things, hopefully. But the, the fact is, we still don't know very much about how to teach 
well um, it's still yeah. mostly a kind of uncharted territory so how do we how do we then navigate through that how do we say what would be a good thing to do um, and I think time is important here because um, I think it was uh, just trying to remember um, uh, Taleb I, I don't know if you know um, Nassim Taleb who wrote um, books like Anti-Fragile and Black Swan but he, he talks about time as being like a, a test of anti-fragility. So in other words, oh, he, wow. he says that um, if something lasts a long time, it's probably a good sign that it's not fragile. So for example, wow. if, you, if you've got a china cup and you drop it on a hard floor, it's going to smash. So it's, it's really fragile. But if you've got something that has lasted the test of time, whether that be a cup or a policy or a way of teaching, that's a mm. fairly good sign that it must work it may, it may not be optimal but it must kind of be in some way yeah. fit for purpose so I think that's uh, that's a good idea I mean there is a reason that we haven't changed the way we teach very much over decades and I think mm-hmm. that reason probably is that that it probably is quite quite a good way of doing it you know those, those tried and tested methods are probably a fairly good way of of teaching and some of the more faddish ideas that come and go they come and go for a reason that they don't really yeah. stand the test of time yeah that's a really good description and analogy that you use from a book um and so how should leadership effectively lead the curriculum because there's now been a greater emphasis on the curriculum you know thanks to the new Ofsted framework so what tips would you give for leaders um in terms of leading the curriculum especially because as a head you're basically in charge of multiple subjects. Mm. Yeah, I find I find that really difficult because we've been um, at my school. We've been doing some kind of curriculum reviews, so we we don't kind of do a mock sell approach, but we work with the subject leader and they identify the things they want a team of people to come and have a look at in the curriculum. And we've just we've just been working with music, we've been working with drama, um, and and a couple of other subjects. Um, and it, what really strikes me when I do the work with these heads of department is that they know so much more than I do about their curriculum area. Yeah. And, and that's a real challenge for senior leaders because you cannot possibly, you know, if I take my head of music, he's got a music degree, plays n- numerous instruments, he's been teaching it for probably 15 years plus. There yeah. is no way I know more than he does about the teaching of music. So yeah. what constructive role can I play as a senior leader Well, I think what I can do is challenge his thinking. So I can ask questions, I can dig, I can, you know, maybe in a a way challenge what I'm seeing or or maybe what some of the impact of that might be. So I think we've got to have a bit of humility as senior leaders in a way that maybe 10 years ago we didn't have. Um, Because heads of department are really knowledgeable people and I don't think we should underestimate their 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 intuition and their knowledge about how to deliver a good curriculum um, and it really it kind of annoys me when I see schools override that with generic policies and people who just think they know better just because they're in a more senior position in the school um, mm. and I think that's quite damaging and there's been some great people who've written about this like Kristen Council yeah. Michael Fordham who've written about that genericism um so yeah that's my take on curriculum listen to your subject leaders they you know I think you said you're a head of department did you Emily yeah yeah Yeah, that's an amazing job isn't it It, yeah I I really enjoy it yeah I really enjoy it yeah and now that um it's more emphasis on the is on the curriculum I feel like I can be a bit more creative 
um, and concentrate more on what is being taught and how, and not so much, although it's equally important in terms of the outcome. So it's um, it's been enjoyable so far, just not in the context of COVID, in no. honesty. Yeah. No, because you have to qu- completely rewrite everything. What's, what's your subject, Emily? Um, History. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's so rich, fun. isn't it? To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think, really, you know, yeah. middle leaders, to me, um, you know, in that, in that subject leader role are really key to school improvement because if you've got leaders who really know their subjects and really mm. think carefully about the curriculum then then the curriculum as a thing can be a really good idea where, where i get a bit concerned about curriculum is um where it kind of becomes another faddish thing where we, yeah. we kind of make everyone you know whatever it is um write a knowledge organizer or oh, yeah. make everyone do retrieval practice at the beginning of every lesson as soon as senior leaders start wading in and thinking wow this is the solution we can we can improve our school through the curriculum, then yeah. you start to lose something um, yeah, and, so and maybe disempower people. Yeah, that's a really good point. And just in line with that, um, how do you empower people and how do you develop your middle leaders as a head teacher? Well, mostly, I've I got to admit, I kind of try to leave them alone. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> as much common, as possible. yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, a, it's, you know this yourself, it's a completely mad job because you're caught between senior leaders and teachers, which is the worst place to be in a school. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we try to give a reasonable amount of time over from, you know, kind of direct time, professional development time over to departments as much as we can. Um, as I say, when we do things like curriculum reviews, we have a conversation about what will be useful. Um, yeah. because there's no point tying up a lot of people's time unless it's going to tell them something and, and, and be useful to them. Um, and then also I just... This is a personal thing, but I don't believe in a lot of monitoring and accountability yeah. processes, data, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. Again, we were doing in education really, really crazily five or 10 years ago. So I think if you are going to go and support a head of department, then, um, you know, go and be useful. Um, mm-hmm. Go and help manage some of the behavior or check to make sure everything in the classrooms are okay. Um, yeah. So these kind of things are really important. Head, heads of department don't need more pressure um having said that you know you've got to improve the school so sometimes you need to say well collectively we're going to work on this together and this is the direction um but but actually a lot of the time they just need time space support um you know a bit of bit of nudging in the right direction i think would be the right Mm. way to do it i really like what you said about just leaving them (laughs) alone because i feel like when you have you know when you're trusted with some form of autonomy, that's where you can really develop, be creative um, and be true and authentic to the subject discipline as well. Sometimes the subject discipline and the, um, I'll say, you know, the core of it um, gets lost when we have to also balance it out with school policies um, that might be a bit too generic and not completely marry up with the subject discipline in itself. Um, So, it seems like you've built a good structure in terms of your school. Well, we get it wrong as well. So as I say, we were working with our drama department and a few years back, we put in a a whole school assessment system, uh, which was good and it's still working. It's still fit for purpose. But what I realized when we were doing this curriculum review was that the way the head of drama had kind of interpreted what we wanted from them um, had, had taken them down a certain path in terms of assessment. 
And when we sat down and spent a bit more time looking at it, we said, well, actually, probably what we asked you to do a few years ago wasn't the most useful thing. Um, and actually, if you do something that just fits your subject a bit better, um, rather than fit the whole school system a bit better, um, it, it'll probably be better for the students. So, you know, we all make these mistakes. We all have a good intention to improve the way we do something about a school. But we've got to be really careful not to do damage to mm. the, the dis disciplinary traditions and the distinctiveness yeah. of the curriculum. Because it's really easy to do, to kind of sit there and go, this, this is a brilliant idea. Let's all yeah. do this. And then a few yeah. years down the line, you realise that it just has taken someone off in the wrong direction and, and not in a yeah. very helpful direction. It's great that you, you know, you seem to be a very understanding um, head teacher. And I'm, you not, I'm a tyrant, really. <laughs> But you mentioned something previously, I'm sure you're not, though, about, you know, accountability um, measures and monitoring measures. Um, so how do you balance it in terms of monitoring and accountability aspects? So what sort of systems do you use? Well, I mean, monitoring is a bit of a loaded term, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, it's kind of a done-to process. So the question I always ask myself is, do we, do we want to judge something? Or do we want to understand something? And I generally err uh, towards the understanding. So if I'm going to spend time in lessons, um, I don't really want to say, you know, you're a really good teacher or, um, you know, you're better than this one or you're better, better than you used to be. So those kind of judgmental things, I, I really moved away from maybe in my practice, maybe eight or nine years ago. Um, yeah. I'm much more interested in kind of finding out why something works. So... If you're going to spend time in someone's lesson try to dig around with them to kind of say well what are you doing why are you doing it is it achieving what you intend it to achieve is there perhaps yeah. a better way we could do that and that kind of approach to monitoring if you want to call it that is is to me much more constructive because both parties are going to learn something from the process mm -hmm. rather than maybe one person at least going away feeling like they've had a bad day or, or um you know maybe may judged about something mm -hmm. so yeah at the end of the day we've all got to be accountable if we're not doing a good job that's true somebody needs to tell us you know you're not doing a good job but you also need to be able to work with people to help them get better because if you only tell people they're not doing a good job and don't help them get better then they're just going to go on they're going to leave and you won't have anyone left yeah yeah that's that's a really good point um thank you matt i'm just we're just going to take a short break um for the latest educational news and adverts um so please whilst we're in a, on the break feel free to get a coffee or um well you might not want to get a coffee right now at this time but feel free to get a cup of tea or um biscuits and enjoy the latest educational news and ads are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then little wondle letters and sounds revised is the program for you Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. 
They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This weekend, the 8th and 9th of January, the Eaton Project... Okay, so I'll leave it there because the, the educational news was um, out of date because it said 8th and 9th of January. Um, but feel free to... Um, yeah, you've listened to the ads. Just going to play a quick um, tech tip from Tom. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot UK. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Welcome back. So I have been interviewing um, Matthew Evans on all things Edu Leadership and um, for those that are just joining, Matthew is a secondary head teacher in Gloucestershire. He has been a teacher for 27 years and has worked in various schools and leadership roles. He is an author of two books, um, one Leaders with Substance, and he's co-authored the next big thing in school leadership, or well, improvement, I should say, um, and which was published in 2021. Uh, Matthew also blogs and tweets um, at head underscore teach so please do you know um look at his and read i should say his blogs and follow him if you have not already so just talking about your um books um matt you've got two books one it's um 
leaders with substance and the other is um you which you call co-authored which is the next big thing in school leadership um i'm sure people have got the book or they are planning to buy the book but how do you would you, do you want those books to be used because sometimes as you know with education things get um mutinated and you know one thing turns into another thing which isn't the intention of the author or the creator of that idea so how would do you want your books to be used that's a really good question so um that was a few years ago i wrote leaders with substance now and um i guess the main thrust of the book is 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 about expertise it's really about what do we mean by expert leadership how do we actually become better as leaders in in a school environment so yeah. The, the thing I want people, if they read that, to, to be left with really is that um, we should we should value knowledge as yeah. school leaders. So we should really value what we know, and we should really value our context and, and understanding our school environment better, and that we can actually become better leaders um, if, if we actually work at it and if we try. I, I really don't like the idea that someone is either born to be a leader or or not yeah. going to be a leader that I think everyone could be a leader and you don't yeah. have to fit a particular mold so wow. you don't have to be an extrovert um, wow. you don't have to be charismatic uh, you don't have to just have these wonderful um, presentation skills or whatever it is yeah I, I know some I know all sorts of leaders who do an absolutely fantastic job and what they all have in common is that they really know what they're doing they really study wow. the job they really study schools they read a lot they think a lot um, they have their views challenged. They, they network really widely with other people. Um, so that, that's what I'd like people to take from that book, that anyone could be a leader, but it is really, you've got to work at it and you've really got to know what you're talking about and you're wow, never going to know wow. everything. Well, I really like that. It gives hope in terms of um, anyone being a leader because I'm naturally an introvert and I've always seen, you know, charismatic leaders or leaders that have more extroverted qualities. Um, so it's really encouraging to hear, you know, that, actually anybody could be a leader you just well, have to wear I'm, it absolutely and I'm, I'm like a natural introvert as well although you know I can I can I've, I've learned how to kind of put it on when yeah. I need to so I can do the presentations I can do the socializing if I really have to um, yeah. but you know I think what the good thing about being introverted is you spend a lot of time in your own head yeah um, a lot of time point. reading and a lot of time thinking and a lot of time writing um, so I think you could be a really knowledgeable leader if if you do that and it isn't all about, you know, kind of shaking hands and, and, you know, being smarmy with people. And you don't have to do that. You can actually be thoughtful. You can be um, cautious in how you do things. So that that's really, I think it's, you know, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat. There's no one way of leading a school. Mm, um, and, I, and the next big thing, that, that, yeah. was a, that was a great book to write because we wrote it um, literally through the pandemic. So Becky, Ben and I, got together at the very last research ed conference before everything went into meltdown back in 2020. Yeah. Um, and Becky and Ben were all, already kind of working together on, on a potential book and cornered me at the research ed and said, <laughs> you're into this stuff, you know, do you want to join us? And then we spent the next 18 months over lockdown. That was the last time we met face to face until we launched the wow. book. So we, we did the whole thing over Zoom. Um, and what, what really strikes me reading back over the book now is that it's a very kind of pandemic book because we were hugely uncertain about what was going on. Yeah. Uh, we, we were probably feeling 
you know, like everyone was at that time, a bit insecure, a bit, a bit threatened mm. by the world. So a lot of it is about uncertainty and a lot of it is about what we don't know rather than what we do know. Yeah. And we were really conscious right in the book that we didn't want it to be pessimistic. Yeah. Um, so we spent quite a long time in, in kind of post-edit um, give, giving it more of a theme and, and uh, giving some solid advice at the end of the chapters and, and that kind of thing as well. So I think the thing we really wanted people to take from this book is that uh, running a school and, and the school system itself is really, really complex. And we don't know very much about how to do it well. We don't yeah. really know a lot about how to improve schools. So there's a huge amount we've got still to learn. But despite that, you can actually survive and, and even thrive in that environment. So there are things, mm. there, are, there are ways you can approach school leadership and policymaking and being a teacher, um, which means that it doesn't have to be frightening and it doesn't have to be um, overwhelming and confusing. If you just come to terms with the fact that being a teacher or running school or making education policy, it's really, really difficult. It's a really challenging thing yeah. to do. And if we can accept that, then we hopefully can feel a bit better about the fact that we get to half term and we're knackered and we collapse and, you know, and we get stressed and we do all of that kind of thing. So it's about coming to terms with some of the realities of trying to improve the school system. Thank you. And just whilst we're talking, I've thought of two more questions. And um, the first question is, I presume people can get the book on Amazon. Is any other platforms in which people can get your books? Yeah, they're both published by John Cat. Yeah. So if you want to avoid the mighty Amazon, then um, you can get it there. But it's it's available other places too, like Waterstones, for example. So lots of good places. Thank you. Um, and my other question in regards to you know um, your books. Um, oh, now it's just kicked my head. I had one more question in regards to your books. Oh, yeah, that's it. So you spoke about um, the one that you co-authored, which was the second one published last year, on the next big thing on in terms of school improvement and how it was a very pandemic um, book. So how has the pandemic, how did that stretch you? How, um, what did you learn in terms of leadership through the pandemic? Well, I think I, I read quite a lot of things about how none of anything we'd learned before could help us run a school during the pandemic. Yeah. And I, I really disagree with that because I felt that everything I'd learned up to that point was really helpful. Um, and everything actually I'd spent time building up to that point was really helpful. So one of the, one of the things I noticed really early on is that I didn't have the ability to walk around the school and to see what was going on. I didn't yeah. have the ability to bump into people and have a conversation. So all of a sudden, I was completely remote from my school, which had become wow. this kind of virtual thing. Yeah. Um, so what do you do in that situation as a head teacher? Well, the only thing you can do really is trust people to do a good job. And, mm. and I thought that was, you know, really made me realize in a way is that if you strip away the, the kind of normalities of school life, at the end of the day, you are not in everyone's classroom every minute of the day. You have to trust people to walk in, to deal with a group of 30 kids, to teach yeah. them some good stuff and to, to try to get the best out of them. And you can't micromanage people like that. So wow. I, I actually thought the pandemic was in that way quite refreshing. That it, I, and I think probably for a lot of people as well, it made them realise that things like um, developing those relationships with people, developing their expertise so that they can work on their own and, and get on with the job 
these things were really, really important in the pandemic. And I think they're still more important than ever coming back into schools with all of the uncertainty that we're still facing. Mm. Oh, that's really powerful because it seems like you have a very optimistic view of all of that, whereas I've got a very pessimistic view about the pandemic. It really did tie me out and yeah. feel like I'm still recovering from the burnout of the pandemic, to be honest, and now going through the effects of the pandemic and just how weak some year groups are um, yeah. at the moment. So that's... that's it's definitely strange. that downside as well. I mean, I, I yeah. definitely had that burnout feeling quite a number of times. And I think had I not been writing a book, I probably would have been thoroughly demoralized and burnt out but I think Becky and Ben probably probably got me through it um but I I agree with you about the year groups and stuff I mean we've got some big big challenges ahead and I think anyone who's working in schools knows the fallout in terms of mental health issues yeah um, and the social issues and we've got a lot of building back to do but you know this is what schools do isn't it schools are the glue that holds society together yeah you know, we, we are, we've got a workforce out there who are perfectly capable of rising to cha- that challenge and to support this generation, get back on their feet and get back on, onto some kind of normal life. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Matt. You just make me feel like I could do anything. Number one, be a leader now. And number two, deal with um, the post-pandemic um, residue that's left behind. So, yeah, thank you for that. It's really encouraging. Um, my next question is how can good leaders develop other teachers so a leader it could be um you know someone like me middle leader somebody like yourself um head teacher or head of year developing form tutors um do you have any general advice for developing others well i'm going to go back to that expertise idea so i think the thing we should do is is help other people develop expertise in their job which means help them learn and professional development is still not something we're very good at we still don't know a great deal about how to how to get teachers to teach better or how to get leaders to lead better um but there's some good work you know going on out there into this area and i think we will learn more about it but in the meantime i think the best we can do is just encourage people to learn more about their craft learn more about the job they do think a bit more deeply about some of the things they do so yeah. coming back to some of these discussions I've been having with, with our subject leaders recently, um, just you know, getting them to stop and think, why are you doing what you're doing? Where mm. can we look to see other ways of doing it? Um, which, which evidence can we draw upon to just inform our decision-making a little bit? And the more we learn and the more we think carefully about some of the decisions we're making, over time people build up that expertise and build up those mental models so that they become better whatever it is they're doing so i think professional development is really important experience is very important and also keeping that open critical dialogue where we can be honest with each other about what's working and what's not working um, mm. in both directions i mean that you know that that includes people telling head teachers what they should be doing better as well oh wow and do you, how do you develop that sort of relationship whereby people feel comfortable to tell you to do better in an area for example yeah that's that's really hard because people yeah. don't um, people don't generally like um, offering criticism in yeah. any direction, do they? And, and it's even more difficult if you're offering that criticism, like to someone higher up the hierarchy um, than you are. So it's really difficult. I mean, I, I love the work. I don't know if you're familiar with Vivian Robinson's work, but um, Vivian Robinson, who's an, uh, 
uh, the women Australian oh. academic. Oh, okay. I it was she does, does some brilliant stuff on um, what she calls open to learn conversations. So how you actually have a conversation where you can be honest and open about what you think about something, but also yeah. be reciprocal about that and, and listen to the other person's point of view as well. Mm. So Vivian's work, I just think is, is great because she offers some really practical models. So if anyone listening now, though, if you've not read Vivian Robinson's work, I'd really encourage you to do so. But having those kind of honest and open conversations where you are frank with people, don't pull your punches, but equally you're, you're kind and respectful in how you do that. And if you don't think something's working well, we should just say, well, that doesn't work in my view. So, you know, what can we do? What can we do about mm. it to make it better? That's really good. Thank you. Um, and then my next question is, do you have any tips for leading change and creating buy-in? I feel like that is one of the biggest mountains for leaders in, in terms of wanting to implement new systems or maybe implement new ways of doing things, whether it's pedagogy or even maybe a new um, scheme of work into the curriculum. So do you have any tips for leading change, ensuring that that change is stabilised and that it lands well within each and every classroom and creating that buy-in? The, the, the term, well, I guess the term buy-in um, has worried me a bit more recently because there is this thing school leaders do where they have a good idea or a good idea in inverted commas and then because they kind of really believe in that idea they then persuade other people that it's a really good idea so we should all do this whatever yeah. it is. Um, and the problem with that is that you end up you end up trying to create buy-in so you end up saying look I've made the meal you you come and eat it and you've got to tell me it's good um, and that's kind of problematic because for a start maybe it's not a good idea and we've got yeah. plenty of examples in education where leaders come up with really stupid ideas. Um, so, <laughs> and secondly, it doesn't really respect the other people. So everyone has a kind of theory of action um, in terms of how they think things should proceed in the school. So if you, if you talk to people about it and say, well, students' behaviour isn't good enough, what do we do about it? Why, why is it like this? And if yeah, you talk to people wow. about that, they will have their own theory. You know, so if, if I walk around the school and see the transition between lessons is really disorderly. It's really tempting for me to think, well, okay, the problem is that they're not being supervised. So what am I going to do yeah. about that? I'm going to ask teachers to come out of their classrooms and supervise the corridors um, when students move. And that's my solution to the problem. But if you ask the teachers about it, they might say, well, actually, if you do that, then the start of my lesson isn't going to be great because what I'm actually doing with that time is, is getting my head in gear and getting my materials ready and I want to make sure when the students come in, they're doing it in an orderly manner and I've got my classroom organised. So if you just go with this leader's good idea, you, you could be doing quite a lot of damage. So this is why I say that in, you've got to be really in touch with the school before you start throwing around solutions to a problem. You've got to try to understand that problem from different people's perspectives. Wow. And if you can actually understand the problem better, then when you propose a solution then you shouldn't need to do the persuasion. Yeah. And, and, and I think persuasion is, is an overrated leadership quality. Persuasion means that other people don't actually think it's a very good idea, but you've got that's to try to persuade point. them. <laughs> and and if, yeah. if that's the case, it probably isn't a very good idea. Mm. Well, that's a really good point. Um, or what if, for example, it's just, it, it you know, um, research says it's a good idea, 
instincts aren't in line with that, but it could be people just afraid of change or, um, yeah. So what advice would you give in regards to that? Well, I mean, research never really tells us whether something is going to work. It, I mean, I that's a good point. The, you know, the, be- the best it's going to say is that it's worked somewhere. So yeah. you know, that, that would be my kind of health warning. But I mean, the point you're making about um, that people may be fearful or resistant or, or not kind of think something is a good idea. There, there are cases where you have to do something before you can change somebody's mind. So yeah. um, we, we, we've got really compliant kids at our school, um, and yeah. a really nice bunch, and they generally don't cause many problems. So what we don't have to do at our school is some of the things that you may do in a more challenging context yeah. about you know, the strong starts to lessons and some of those more kind of rigorous routines we've always been able to get away with not doing, but I still think they're a good thing. And we wanted to improve the way we started our lessons. And to be frank, people didn't think it was necessary. They kind of said, well, kids are behaving. They're not really very late to lessons. Punctuality is pretty good. Why bother? You know, what's the driver? Mm. So I think there are occasions when you have to, you have to prove the idea and you have to say to people, look, just tolerate me for a bit and mm. do what I'm asking you to do. And if, it, if three weeks down the line, this is clearly a bad idea, then okay, then I, I will go with what, what you're telling me. But yeah. try it out first. And, and sometimes you do have to get people to do things before they actually buy into it and, and kind of believe that it's going to be a good idea. So I suppose mm. in a way I'm contradicting what I said previously, but this is where... Mm. This yeah. is where leadership comes in, isn't it? It's yeah. Some, it, it's knowing when to push something, and knowing when to actually, you know, trust the wisdom of other people who are telling you something's not going to work. And you're only going to know that through experience and through. Um, and sometimes it's just taking a risk, isn't it? And, and thinking, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to push this one, but I'm I'm going to. This is the battle I'm going to fight. Mm. Oh, I like that. Thank you for that advice. Um, my next question is centered about well-being, and it seems to be um, the not new big thing in education, but very important, I would say, in education, especially because retention is quite low, especially for those that are new into their careers. Um, I think I saw something along the lines that um, people stay in teaching for about five years and then they look for another profession. But how can um we you know well how can leaders um help to support well-being and also improve retention well i might this might be a bit controversial but so the first thing i would say is stop doing daft things mm-hmm. um yeah i just see so many daft things going on in schools and i've done so many daft things and i think we we've got this idea in education that we have to keep coming up with new initiatives and new ideas yeah. And I think, yeah. I could be wrong with this, but my, my gut feeling is there is a correlation between the more assistant head teachers you have and, and the burnout of teachers within the school. Oh, um, wow. Well, because, you know, large senior leadership teams generate huge amounts of initiatives if you're not wow, careful. Wow, that's such a good point, yeah. And, you know, what does it feel like to be a teacher? Mm. So uh, I'm always grounded by this because my wife's um, a part-time teacher in, in a local school and she, oh, wow. she's a main school teacher so she she has yeah. been the head of department and that kind of thing but she, she does the kind of day you know the the five period a day kind of yeah. um, approach to things and she's worked in schools over the years with lots of people 
who are ambitious, who want to rise up the hierarchy, all who've got their own ideas, um, running professional development sessions, starting new initiatives. And as a teacher, I just see her over time. You get really burnt out by that. Yeah. And I think we've got a responsibility in schools to make sure, this is really the head teacher's job, is to yeah. make sure you get that balance right between enabling people who, who do want to change the school and do good things, enabling them to do that um, to an extent, but equally you've got to coordinate all of those good ideas so yeah. that the, the, the teacher who's day-to-day in the classroom isn't constantly overloaded with another form initiative. they've got to fill out or another initiative, yeah. another thing they've got to add to their teaching repertoire. So that, to, me, to me, the core of poor well-being in schools is, um, is this idea of solutionism that wow. senior leaders just chuck out all of these ideas, sometimes without thinking them through as much as they should do. Mm-hmm. I really like that. And I like the fact that you didn't, like, say, you know, offer them cake or do I a cup. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, no, because um, I remember being in um, my, I'm a governor in um, my local area and um, one of their initiatives was offering cake and having like, um, what's that, what's that? meditation yeah. time and all of that. And my thing is, it's just adding to teacher time, yeah. give back, to, give teachers back their time, look back at your policies, where can things be shaved off? Or, you know, let go just to give teachers back their time. Because if their teachers have that time back, they're able to, you know, be creative, develop their skills, think more deeply and re- be reflective in terms of their lesson plans um, and so on. So I'm happy you didn't say anything like yeah. that. And, and people have different pressures, don't they, at different yeah. stages of their career. So I remember being uh, a young teacher all those years ago and... I wanted to work really hard. I wanted to. I was happy to spend my evenings and weekends working, yeah. uh, and and people allowed me to do that. And it probably yeah. wasn't the best thing for me. And then and then you become you know say head of department, and that's just mad workload and just loads of stuff to do. And yeah. and then and then you know you might have your own family or your own kids, and then you've got that pressure as well. So I yeah. think as people, you can't say meditation is going to be the thing to yeah. do it. I mean, if you want to offer a meditation for people to go and do that after schooling then great it might be the right thing for some people but most people want to get the job done um, not be overloaded with unnecessary work and then they want to go home and have a bit of a life as well um, so and, true you know putting on well-being days isn't as yeah. I say I, for some people it's great but I, I just think as a kind of uh, a one-size-fits-all it's probably not the best thing we could do and as a head teacher how do you manage your own workload and how do you ensure your well-being do you have any like if you could share what you do and if you can offer any tips to other heads that would be great well I've always um I've always worked hard and I don't mind working hard I do as I've got older I kind of put more um I put more constraints around how I work and when I work yeah. So I, I don't work as many evenings and weekends as I used to. Yeah. Um, and that's partly, you know, I've got a family, I've got two kids. Um, so I've, I've, I've learned to value that family time a bit more yeah. and, and just yeah. draw a line. And after a number of years as well, you kind of realize that that extra work you do doesn't make a great deal of difference. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's the, it's the 80-20 yeah. role that you can, you can get most of your impact in, in, in 
a fairly short amount of time if, if you mm. really put your mind to it. So I do that, and then I do other stuff. So I write a lot, which I really enjoy. It's stress release for me. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I climb lots of mountains, which I really I like enjoy that. as well. Yeah. I go on lots of school trips. So we take take our kids out climbing mountains. Oh, um, lots of outdoor pursuits. Um, all of that kind of thing too. So, yeah, I just it, it's a bit like you know, fill your life up with interesting things and then mm. you, you don't fall into the trap of overworking quite as much as you might otherwise do. Um, yeah. Having said that, you know, I have weeks where I work crazy hours, but um, I don't. I think that's true for all head teachers probably. Yeah, I think that's the nature of teaching, to be honest. Um, you can work in a school. Like I feel my school, we've got um, a high, you know, retention. Work-life balance is really good, but the nature of teaching is that there are certain points within the year whereby it's going to pinch, and yeah. it's just the nature of a job, in all honesty. It is. Um, yeah. like, I always remember my um, so my eldest daughter is at university now, um, and she wants to be a secondary teacher. Oh wow! And, and so we had that kind of conversation. That kind of you sure you want to be a secondary teacher? It's hard work, and it can be quite stressful. Um, you know, and she said, "Dad, look, growing up." 13 weeks of the year I've had my parents so she said that you know that that's the ultimate thing isn't it that as a child you can have your parents a quarter of the year and I think I know people don't like teachers don't like us and teachers will work in the holidays and we all collapse in the holidays and get all the housework done because we've kind of let it go for the whole term but it's a certain way of working it's not necessarily healthy that we work frantically for six or seven weeks and then kind of crash yeah but equally you know, I, I've got friends who are on kind of similar pay levels to me working in the corporate world who will have five weeks holiday a year, spend three nights a week away from home, um, you know, in a hotel somewhere. Um, these kind of jobs are hard. Uh, and mm. if you're going to be a professional, you're going to have to work hard. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we've got to accept that. But equally, um, we, we also need to recognize that it is high pressure and that we shouldn't mm. ask people to do things that they don't absolutely need to do. Yeah, I definitely agree. Thanks for sharing that. So we've come to the end of the show. I just really want to say thank you so much, um, Matt, for your time, because I know how busy head teachers are. But before we close, I just wanted to ask, do you have any final tips or remarks for head teachers or leaders? Um, I guess just, well, just thinking about what we've talked about tonight, probably yes. just two. Um so we've, we've talked about leaders coming up with too many initiatives and solutions and things. So I would say my first tip for anyone going into senior leadership is take as much time as you need to to understand the problem you're trying to solve Yeah. before you kind of dream up a solution. And I think going right back to the beginning of tonight as well, I think the other thing I would say to any senior leader is just try to carve out as much time as possible to walk around the school to have conversations with people and to maximize your exposure to the reality of the school that you're working in. And I think if you do those two things, you can't, you can't go too far wrong. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much um, for your time, Matt. It's been really enjoyable. You've encouraged me and you've given nuggets of wisdom and practical tips as well for leadership. Um, And I believe you are talking, you're speaking at the next research ed event. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, Becky Allen and I are talking in Birmingham, which I think is coming up in a few weeks. So if, if you're there, do do come and say hi. Definitely. And please, anybody else that um, is planning to go, um, please do. Um, I love research ed events. I've 
slacked a bit when it comes to CPD um, due to just the busyness of Moreau. I feel like I did lots of out, um, you know, um, weekend CPD when I was a classroom teacher, but now as a middle leader, it's it's much difficult for anyone. Yeah, yeah, it's just really, really busy. Um, but thank you once again. Next week, we've got um, Harry Fletcher Wood, um, and you mentioned him. Um, during the interview so yeah he's yeah, listen to speaking. harry he's he really yeah. knows his stuff so yeah definitely tune yeah. in for that one but thanks emily it's been oh, great no, to no. be on the show oh, thank you so much um thank you for everybody that's tuned in make sure you do follow matt it, he is on twitter it's at head underscore teach um and purchase the books as well um but thank you everyone and have a lovely evening goodbye You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.